The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. So I forgot Heather does our kids' blessing now because if you didn't know, I've been gone for two weeks. So uh, it, is, uh, it is good to be back with y'all. I've been, been out of town the last couple weekends with some, uh, some outside speaking engagements. Uh, and so uh, just first of all, I want to say thanks to many of those who covered for me. I uh, really appreciate it. If you haven't had a chance to listen to, to Leon Stewart's sermon from a couple weeks ago or, or Grant Carey's uh, from last week, I uh, encourage you to do that on our podcast. It's, it's, uh, it's good stuff. And so uh, thankful to them and really glad to be back uh, with my church family and with, with all of you this morning. Uh, And today we are closing up our series on David, the series we've been in for about the last eight weeks, uh, and and, uh, we're going to look at his death. Now, before we we get into that, I want to just give a a quick reminder on the idea behind this series. Uh, You can see we've subtitled this series, Clear Eyes, Full Hearts. And uh, the idea for us behind uh, this series is that, that as we look at the life of David, who's this, this ancient poet and warrior and king in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, as we look at his life, we see that he lived a, lived a life with clear eyes and a full heart. That he was a man who lived fully. He didn't live a perfect life, right? Like it was far, far from that. But he lived a life fully because he lived life fully before God. And what we're going to see is that in David's death is, again, we're going to see a very imperfect man, but a man whose entire life is lived before God. And so as we get into it, I want to tell you a story. Uh, last week, I was, uh, I was speaking at this, this conference uh, just outside of Minneapolis, and, and I was speaking with this guy who's, who's kind of a big deal in some circles, probably not most of your circles, but he's kind of a big deal in mine. Uh, and, uh, and he's got a, uh, like a PhD from Princeton. Uh, he's written a bunch of books, like just this, this crazy sharp guy. And this, this last week, it was just he and I speaking at the conference. And, and he's a super nice guy, but like I looked at his qualifications compared to mine, and I was like, dude, why would you ever ask me to be here? Like it was, it was awful. Uh, and so I thought like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prepare myself. I'm going to read some of his work before I go and, and speak uh, with him. And so I, I picked up one of his books, and because I'm a glutton for punishment, uh, I picked up what was essentially his doctoral dissertation uh, in book form, uh, which was a book called Revisiting Relational Youth Ministry, Moving from a Strategy of Influence to a Theology of Incarnation. Now, you can tell it's a dissertation because the title's that long, right? Like that's, in fact, the dissertation is probably even longer. Um, and so at any rate, uh, it was actually a really good book, remarkably accessible, but I'm just going to, mass confession is good for the soul. I'm just going to be real with you all right now. I didn't read the whole thing, okay? I read two-thirds of it, okay? I had, I had other books that took priority. I just didn't have time to finish it, and so I read two-thirds of it. But when I met him, do you think I told him I didn't read the whole thing? No! I said, hey, Dr. Root, so great to meet you, man. I, I really loved your book. And that would have been fine, except that I got really captivated by a concept he talked about during one of his sessions. And during one of his sessions, he, uh, he talked about this concept called the pluralization of worlds. And uh, I'm not going to get into it today, but, but I, I was fascinated by it. And so I went up to him after this talk, and, and I said, uh, hey, you know, where, where's a place where I could dig deeper into this idea of the pluralization of worlds? And uh, as you have already guessed, uh, he had this, like, look of shock on his face, and he's like, Oh, well, of course, you know, it's in the last three chapters of my book, Revisiting Relational Youth Ministry, Moving from a Strategy of Influence to Theology. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I just felt so stupid. You know, I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't really finish it. Da, 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 da. The reality is, I tell you that story to point this out. Like, like I'm finite, 
I'm a human being who's limited by time and space and capacity. Like, I, I just am. Like, we as human beings, we're, we're limited. We can't do it all. It is not possible. And this is the first truth that we see in, their, in our text this morning. That David's death shows us the limits of humanity. That we start and we stop. There are limits to our humanity. And then the next thing we'll see in our text is the struggle of humanity. And then the final thing we'll see is the redemption of humanity. All right, so that's what we're going to see this morning. The limits of humanity, the struggle of humanity, the redemption of humanity. And so let's go. Let's look at the limits of humanity. Look with me at verses 1 to 2 in our text. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. Now, we actually need to recognize how profound this text is. Just these couple verses is absolutely profound. See, in the ancient Near East, where David was king in the, the, the Iron Age, rulers were deified, right? They were seen as gods. And so no ruler would ever in their right mind talk about their end, talk about their death, the way that David talks about his. Right? Essentially, David says here, he says, hey, I'm going to die just like everyone else. He says, I'm no god. You don't need to worship me. I'm mortal like everyone else. Kings die too. I'm human too. And see, this taps into this reality of part of what it is for us to be human. That what it is for us to be human is that we die. That's part of what makes us humans is that we die. And I realize that's a painfully obvious statement to make. I, I assume you all knew that, okay? But part of what it is for us to be human is that we die. But we're really good at avoiding that truth, right? Like we don't like thinking about it. We don't want it in our heads. We don't, we don't face that too often. Uh, I think I've shared this story with you before, but a couple years ago, Melissa and I uh, went, to, went to see one of my favorite artists, uh, Sufjan Stevens, who's, he was playing here in Austin, and, and um, he had just released an album called Carrie and Lowell, and the whole album is just him uh, processing his mom's death, and he's just working through uh, the grief that he's going through with the death of his mom. Uh, and I remember the show was great, but uh, as Melissa and I sat down at our seats, right next to us was that couple. You know that couple? Like, like uh, Sufjan Stevens is, a, is an indie folk artist, and they were the experts on indie folk music. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, so if you see them, they are. And, uh, and so during the whole concert, they're just having this, like, incredibly pretentious conversation. Like, while I'm using it, I was just like, oh, would you shut? You're like, I just wanted them to be quiet. It was driving me nuts. They wouldn't stop talking. But then this beautiful moment happened uh, where Sufjan's playing up there, and he's, he's playing this song uh, that repeats this line, we're all going to die, like over and over again, like 50 times. It just goes, we're all going to die. And like it gets more and more intense, like the lights are going da, 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 da. And I look over at the chatty Cathy's next to me, and they had shut up real quick, which was awesome, right? Quiet as church mice, looking mortified, just how I like it. It was great. <laughs> but that's the nature of a lyric like that, right? Like some dude sings, we're all going to die over and over again. Uh, we get quiet real quick because we don't like to think about it. We know it's true and it's scary. But the reality is that to be human is to die, that it's death sets a limit on us. And while death is a bad thing, I want to be clear about that, it is a bad thing. There's a theological lens I want us to see in it. And I think Eugene Peterson gets at what I'm trying to say really well. He says this, The original temptation is to try and be like God, 
The original warning is that if we try it, we'll die. We all try it, and we all die. Thanks, Rob. Uh, the, the death protects and guarantees our humanity. Our attempt to be more human than, or other than human, which is the common mark of sin, results in our being, becoming less than human. In that regard, it's death that prevents our complete dehumanization. Now, what Eugene Peterson is getting at there is actually something that, that Soren Kierkegaard, uh, my boy, the 18th century Danish philosopher, I know y'all love him, uh, that, that he gets into in his book, That Sickness Unto Death. And in that sickness unto death, what, what Kierkegaard says is he says, hey, all of us as human beings, we, we have this sort of war within ourselves. We have these kind of two selves that we see within us. The, the, that part of us that knows what we ought to do, and then that part of us that actually does stuff. And they're not always the same person, right? He says, so we have this struggle within us. And he says, the only, that what we, what we want to do, he says, the end goal of humanity is to reconcile those two parts. And he says, if we do that, then we are what he calls the authentic self. That's his, his term there. But he goes on to say that essentially left to our own devices, we can never become an authentic self. And so instead, he says, we try to reconcile this war within ourselves by either ignoring it, pretend it's not going on, or embracing it uncritically. And he says, either way, when we do that, it leads to death. And see, this is the struggle of humanity. And the reality is we actually see this internal struggle going on in the life of David until his last breath. Right? Like, I don't know if you guys caught this when I first read it, but just, just look at the first piece of instruction that David gives to Solomon. David's lying on his deathbed, and the first piece of instruction he gives to his son, verse 3, is this. And keep, charge, keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That's a good thing, right? That's a good word that David gives to his son. Like, that's good fatherly wisdom to give your kid on your deathbed. It's godly advice. It's moral advice. But then immediately after this instruction, I don't know if you guys caught this when I read it, but then David, for like the next five verses, tells Solomon a bunch of dudes that he wants him to kill. Right? And then he ends with this beautiful nugget. Verses 8 and 9. And there is also with you Shimi, the son of Jirah, the Benjaminite from Baharim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with a sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. Like, what? Like, David goes from saying to Solomon, hey, follow God, do what he says, live a life before God, and then he goes to, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. Are you kidding me? Like, what is that about? Like, David is a guy in Scripture who is called a man after God's own heart. And he dies cursing his enemies. What are we supposed to do with that? Like, David's this, this great hero of the faith. He wrote most of the book of Psalms, which is the biggest book in the Bible. And he dies. Where the last words on his breath were a broken promise and a death sentence. Like, what do we do with that? 
We see the humanity of it. We see the humanity of it. That the reality is that each one of us is soaked in sin. That each one of us has that sickness unto death. Even heroes of the faith. Just this last week, I was uh, talking with a, a young man uh, who's just starting in a profession that he's like worked towards uh, for, for many years. And like there's people that he's looked up to for years that, uh, that are now his, his peers, that are now his, his coworkers, that, that he works alongside of them now. And he said, you know, Gabe, now that I've got this job, uh, I realize how incredibly underqualified I am for it and that I have no idea what I'm doing. And then he said, he goes, and, and as I've looked behind the curtain and I look at all these people that I've admired for years, I realize they don't totally know what they're doing either. And I was like, bro, welcome. Welcome to the club, buddy. Like the more and more I live in the professional world, the more and more I realize that none of us really know what we're doing, right? Like we're all human. And see, this is our tendency. We maybe do it professionally, but we do it spiritually too. We look at other people, at leaders, at mentors, at friends, and we assume, well, they've resolved that internal war. They've got that stuff figured out. They've become their authentic selves, as Kierkegaard talks about. And the reality is, they haven't. And so how do we resolve the sickness unto death? How do we become these authentic selves? We do it when we see the redemption of humanity. Look with me at verse 12. So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. So David dies, and his son Solomon takes over and sits on the throne, and it says his kingdom is firmly established, uh, which is true. But if you know the story of the rest of the Old Testament, we see in Solomon, and we see in every other king after him, that they all have this sickness unto death. But none of them has it figured out. But they all have this internal struggle. But then there's a story in the Gospel of Mark. It was a little less than a thousand years uh, after David dies. And a little less than a thousand years after David dies, uh, Jesus is, is walking around the town of Jericho. And he's walking around and there's this, this blind beggar named Bartimaeus who hears that Jesus is there. And upon hearing that, that this great healer is there, uh, uh, Bartimaeus just starts crying out. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me again and again and again. And the crowd that's around Jesus says, hey, would you shut up? Leave Jesus alone. He's too busy for you. And Jesus, of course, stops. And he says to the crowd, he says, hey, call that guy for me. And then there's these beautiful words in the Gospel of Mark where the, the crowd says to this poor blind beggar Bartimaeus, they say, take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. And of course, Bartimaeus gets up and he goes and he sees Jesus and Jesus heals him. Now, we said at the beginning of this series, we, uh, we quoted uh, Eugene Peterson, and we said this is really kind of our guiding thought behind the whole idea of studying David is this. If we're going to get the most out of the Jesus story, we want to first soak our imaginations in the David story. 
And see, what we see, if we really look at the depths of the David stories, we see that it points to Jesus, who's the true Davidic king. That he's the true hero. That he's the only one that was fully human, that he was an authentic self. That he was so human that he dies just like each one of us. But that as he's nailed to the cross, as he dies, he doesn't die cursing his enemies. He dies forgiving them. And he doesn't just forgive them through his death. He forgives you. That this inner war that's inside each of us between what we ought to do and what we actually do, this war that ultimately leads to our death, it's what Jesus died for. That through his death, he forgives you of all your sin, that you might find your authentic self in him. That through his death, you might find your life. You might find the redemption of your humanity. The, uh, the great reformer, Martin Luther, had some pretty epic final words, too. His final words were this. We are beggars. This is true. We are beggars. This is true. His point being that, that we are all Bartimaeus. That we're beggars crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so if that's you, Hear the words of the crowd that day. Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. Wherever you're at today, if you're crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. If you're feeling guilty or shame-filled, take heart. Get up. He's calling you. If you're anxious or nervous, get up. Take heart. He's calling you. If you're uncertain or stressed, take heart, get up, he's calling you. If you're angry or bitter, take heart, get up, he's calling you. If you're joyful or peaceful, take up, get up, take heart, he's calling you. Oh, that was the last one, too. And as we respond to that call, may we find ourselves in our true king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I uh, pray for my friends gathered here this morning. That wherever they're at, they would see that you came for them. Now there's parts of us, there's a war within us, there's struggles within our lives that, that we can't resolve ourselves. But ultimately, Lord, redemption is found in you. And so, Lord, may we place our hope in you. May we find our life in you. May we take heart that you've called each one of us here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.